0: Welcome to What Consumers Want, the podcast that brings the voice of the consumer to the healthcare conversation. Are you interested in getting outside the healthcare echo chamber? Using research and insights, we'll explore key healthcare opportunities through the eyes of the end consumer. We examine trends outside of healthcare that are driving consumer expectations, as well as what consumers expect from brands now and in the future. This podcast is brought to you by MDRG, a market research firm that unlocks the whole mind for deeper insights. I'm your host, Stephanie Douglas. And let's find out what consumers want. Today, we are mixing things up a bit and have brought in a trend expert from our partner, Stylus in lieu of a healthcare-focused guest. Amelia Miranda Williams sat with MDRG strategist, Lauren McCabe, to understand not just what consumers want now, but what they will want from brands in the future. And with that eye on the future, our question for consumers this month was, what will help you live to 100? Let's hear what people think. In cold weather, you
1: might preserve longer.
2: Yeah, just getting out in the open air, away from any of all chemicals, plastics, things like that.
1: The movement is medicine.
2: You know, tight-knit
1: social circles. I'm sure it's going to be like AI related. Moderation and low stress.
0: Once you hit a point where you're like not happy in life, then you just deteriorate a lot faster. I think walking every day. And I think everyone should do something they enjoy as often as possible. Happiness going to let me live to be 100. It's interesting to me that we hear a lot about wellness right now and that leading to longevity and not necessarily a reliance on medical advancements or technology. That really tees up what we will hear in this next segment with Lauren and Amanda as they dig into convenience culture and inclusivity movements and reflect on what that means for the future of health and wellness.
1: So today we are speaking with Amelia Morano-Williams, a Senior Editor for Consumer Attitudes and Technology at Stylus. Now, if you don't know, Stylus is a trends intelligence platform that uncovers future trends, predicts change, and provides intelligence to give organizations a true understanding of their consumers. And today we're going to talk to Amelia about cross-industry trends impacting
2: healthcare. So get ready. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Excited for this conversation. So to begin, can you tell us
1: about yourself and what you do at Stylist?
2: Yeah, of course. So as the Senior Editor of Consumer Attitudes and Technology at Stylist, well, essentially what I do is analyze what people want from brands and from their lives in general. You know, we're looking at how they're responding to changing social norms, current events, things that are going on around them, the social engagements they have and then using the spectrum of insights to really project into what they're going to want from their lives, from products, services in the future. Obviously, health and wellness is a huge area of focus for us and has been for a while and I think probably goes without saying that it is something that we've been increasingly focused on um, over the past three years of living during a pandemic.
1: Thank you. And to start, I want to start broad here. So from your perspective, what are a few kind of current consumer trends that you're seeing outside of healthcare that you perceive as impacting healthcare or potentially impacting healthcare?
2: Yeah, I think one of the most significant trends that I see poised to break into the healthcare space is what we've termed at stylus as self-care skepticism or low-key living. And this you could also think of as a wellness backlash. So it's on the fringes of healthcare there sitting in the wellness space. But essentially we're seeing that consumers are really fed up with being sold pricey therapies that, you know, claim to offer them inner peace, perfect skin, what have you, but really only succeed in emptying their wallets, you know, especially with inflation, people are thinking about what they spend their money on. And wellness therapies that don't have a clear return on investment is not going to be a significant part as much as it has been in the past. Another way of thinking about it, you know, people are giving up on goop and instead looking to more practical interventions. They're thinking, about things like friendship, exercising for mental health, eating foods that make them feel good. So I mean this is, you know, it does bring us into the idea of healthcare here to a certain degree. I mean, these practices that people are embracing are the building blocks of good health. And I think with this, you know, we're seeing a massive mindset sh- shift around what prevention means within healthcare as well, both on the part of consumers and the system in more generally. So I think longevity here is an interesting area where we're seeing that crossover come in. We've been really interesting to interested to watch longevity shift from something that's really the preserve of multi-billionaires like Jeff Bezos into something that is a little bit more accessible for consumers. So we're watching for the opening of Israel's Sheba Medical Center Longevity Center later this year. And it's going to let people go undergo rigorous three-hour entry appointments, then two-week-long habit tracking. And and getting a customized course of treatment with the aim at increasing their longevity their health span around four core areas obviously that's still quite a limited thing it's not exactly mass but you know i think even the fact that we're now seeing consumer health testing kits for things like allergies and fitness available at CVS is a real significant shift where we're seeing people spending less on these wellness therapies and more on things that have a practical impact. So it's just kind of one of the areas that we're watching where we're seeing you know consumer attitudes around well-being shift over into healthcare. But I think it's going to be a really significant mindset shift to watch and is something that will really impact all areas of how we want to think about our health, well-being, pleasure interactions.
1: Wow, I mean that's a really great insight because it makes me think that healthcare entities, you know, with the data, the research, the scientific background that they have really are probably poised to meet that consumer demand and potentially even pioneer their own consumer products that are backed by science. So that's really an interesting shift. One thing I wanted to ask and you kind of mentioned it, but how are consumer perceptions and about their health and wellness changing?
2: Yeah, I mean I think in tandem with this idea of self-care skepticism, really the biggest consumer perception shift we're seeing is around that appreciation of evidence-based interventions, which yeah, you know, the data that healthcare companies have is a fantastic way to bring that to consumers. And we're seeing this take multiple forms. I think it's still to a certain degree in in early stage. You know, we have well YouTube that is now certifying medical professionals and prioritizing the results in search. But I think there's also an interesting softer side here that healthcare could take a page from. We're seeing people increase their focus on friendship and social wellness. But that's really being backed up by lots of research that's coming out to show that, you know, being with people, forming meaningful connections is really essential for our longevity, driving people to reassess how they prioritize social interactions more broadly. Yeah.
1: That's really, really interesting. And along the lines, like you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but kind of this focus on prevention, do you have any deeper insight specifically, I guess, for healthcare entities, which, you know, they too are really focused on prevention. Any trends along that line that we should be aware about or any specific companies, um, organizations that are innovating in that area of prevention?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I mean, there's so much that goes into prevention when we talk about healthcare, but I think some of the most interesting things I've been seeing recently are quite high-end options here. So the first thing that comes to mind is Fountain Life, which is redesigning the idea of a primary care provider all about doing a battery of really in-depth diagnostic tests to be able to detect disease before symptoms are manifesting physically. So the idea is that you'll do really in-depth blood tests, really in-depth MRIs, and just being able to pinpoint disease as it happens. So I think that is one interesting example of preventative care that we're seeing come to some very luxury, uh, well healed consumers. But I think it's also interesting to think about some more nation therapies that we're seeing arise as well. I'm particularly interested in how AI is going to help make lots of these diagnostic tools more accessible to more people. So two companies that we recently came across while doing research for a report that we wrote called Advancing MedTech used AI to detect early stage breast cancer. So this is a company called Gabby, G-A-B-B-I. And then there's a company called Clearly, which does the same for heart disease. That's C-L-E-E-R-L-Y. So I think it's really interesting to see how these companies are trying to make that prevention a little bit more accessible for people. Gabby in particular is going to be launching as a workplace benefit this year. So I think it's going to be fantastic to see how we can get more of these services to people to be able to make them take a more proactive take on their health. But at the same time, those are eventually going to need to come into the healthcare space. I think it's just getting it to a point where there is the uh, funds available for people to access them. Exactly. And I wanted to probe a little bit more along that line. So wearables, wearable
1: devices that of course track your health and your vitals have been such a big thing that so many you know, brands have been innovating around and putting out new products. Any insights on where that's going and any thoughts on maybe integration into healthcare traditionally, into traditional yeah. systems or maybe outside?
2: I think the wearable space is actually really interesting to watch. And I think we've kind of only scratched the surface of what's happening with them. So some of the really interesting ones that we've seen here recently are trying to move away from screen-based wearables and things that are really data-driven to try and think of almost softer ways of monitoring your health. So in January, in January, Stylus published a report called Feel Good Tech. Um, we looked really broadly about how technology can help us feel good, not just, you know, make us screen addicted. And wearables, I was really surprised, were quite a large focus of this report for us but perhaps not for the reasons that we expected. So one of the best examples I thought we showcased was called Happy Ring. This is a screen-free ring that gathers data around things like stress levels, heart rate variability. So it's not about giving you arbitrary metrics to track. You're not trying to bring your stress levels to a certain place. You're not trying to get your heart rate to a certain level. But it's trying to invite you to reflect on how you feel and discuss it with other people, be that they're happy ring wearers through an app or with your family and friends, and so I think it's really interesting to think about how we can use wearables as a way to just make us more mindful of our own behaviors and help you develop your own healthcare and self-care practices. But that being said, obviously there is a really interesting way of thinking. You know how can it integrate into that traditional space, like you said? And I think there is still a lot to be done here. Lots of the you know current options like Apple's encourage. People to bring ECG data to their from their watches to their doctors doesn't necessarily make it to the level that we're going to see uh, the critical threshold of wearables being extraordinarily valuable for healthcare in every sense of the way. I think part of this is because even though the technology is you know super cool and interesting, and we get Like intriguing data from it. It's not always incredibly accurate. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's looked at their smartwatch heart rate data and just seen it's very inaccurate. You can perceive it quite easily. And with this, I just want to touch on the fact that, you know, it's really worthwhile to note that lots of the devices that do use optical sensors for heart rate are less accurate on people with darker skin tones. So that we are seeing some sensors like the one from BioIntellisense that was released in November cast a broader spectrum of light to get more accurate readings. Still limited applications for these. So we'll really need to be able to make sure that the data that we're gathering is really fantastic in order to make sure that it has a very applicable setting in healthcare. But I just want to mention one other thing here, which I think is that we're going to also need to lengthen the amount of time that people are looking and gathering data. So it's not about seeing a single anomaly, a single day that the ECG reading is off, but thinking what patterns are we looking at over time? and i think ai will be another factor to consider here and i mean that- algorithms for wearables we're seeing get so much more advanced really quickly. I think Whoop has captured so many people's interest with its ability to calculate recovery. But we're seeing even more interesting things come out as well. So I was recently at CES, I was really impressed by this company called Citizen, which released a new smartwatch that uses machine learning to identify the wearer's unique chronotype through a series of two-week alertness tests that happen at different periods of the day. These were designed in partnership with NASA. So there's quite a credibility uplift there. But it's a really interesting example of how brands can think to lengthen out this idea of gathering data and using AI to spot patterns over the long term. Now, this example is purely focused on energy. So it's not necessarily has a healthcare application. But I think it is a good example to think about and keep in mind as we're thinking of how we can track longer term issues and bring a good data to our healthcare providers with wearables. Yeah. I want to shift
1: uh, focus now to dive deeper into mental wellness, Mm -hmm. which has been a trend that, gosh, we've been talking about and tracking as well here at MDRG. So to start, can you just discuss their overall rise in consumer interest in mental well-being and like what sparked it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we can't discuss mental well being and the interest in it without discussing the mental health crisis. We all know it was brewing before the pandemic, but has been hugely exacerbated by it. So, you know, there's no one type of person, one experience, one exacerbating factor that's really attributed to why we're seeing so much interest in mental well being alongside rising rates of mental illness from anxiety, depression, stress um so many other issues i think one interesting thing that we've been thinking about is young people missing out on milestones graduations prom being a really large factor and even with this there's so many responses to it that can make it become an issue that impacts one's mental well-being you know for some people they feel like they've missed out on rites of passages so they haven't fully graduated to the next phase of their lives But there's also the fact that it's missing out on social opportunities, on common bonding experiences. And it goes back to the importance of, you know, social wellness that we were talking about earlier. But I think also there's one element here too that we haven't discussed that isn't discussed as much That's just there's so much greater awareness around the many different issues and how people are impacted by their mental health and by their mental well-being that we just have a greater understanding of what it means. So it may seem like there's more people who are either talking about it or suffering from mental health struggles, but there's also just a larger ability to discuss. It. It's becoming slowly less taboo.
1: I did want to ask you specifically, though, about the gap in mental wellness services and if there are any kind of innovative companies or platforms that are trying to fill those gaps because in traditional healthcare, one of the problems that so many healthcare systems are struggling with is not having enough mental wellness providers or being able to give access, easy access to consumers for those services. So who's filling in the gap?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question because as much as people are talking about it more and there is, you know, more awareness building, there's still so many gaps in services. And I think not just, you know, gaps in services, but there's also many underserved communities that can be addressed as well. And that's just, you know, on a discussion basis. So men in general, still largely underserved when it comes to mental health discussions. And I think here there's some really interesting brand partnerships that we're seeing. Now, this is, you know, one level that's not a very, you know, clinical. It's sort of the first step to, you know, talking and opening up. But you know, some things to be aware of. So we've seen the company Bevel, which is a black-owned men's grooming brand, partner with the fit digital therapy platform Alchemy A L K E M E to give customers three months of free digital therapy. And this is really all about trying to let black men feel like they can have a place to open up and discuss their feelings. Feelings. So again, not necessarily therapy in a, or it is therapy, but not necessarily like clinical mental health services. I think another really interesting example of this here too is Harry's Grooming Brand made a $5 million donation April 2022 to launch Team Changing Minds. So it's a network of mentors trained to help young men who are experiencing mental health struggles. So again, it's more of like a first line of defense to see can we refer you to more help if you need it. And I think more broadly, we're seeing an interesting rise of the empath units and hospitals. So giving a place for people to go if they are really struggling, that's not the emergency room. So that's another really interesting area that we're seeing arise. But yeah, it's really... the. Play, people who are seeing filling the gap so to speak are really these frontline services thinking you know how can I triage all of the issues that are going on for kids as well there's a company called maru for Maru for schools that's trying to help teachers be better frontline triage so trying to think well okay can I notice that this kid is having a pattern of poor mental health and can I refer them to someone who, Can help them in the way that they need. So there's still a lot more needed on that actual treatment side further on. But I think there's some very interesting frontline examples that are arising here. And again, it's interesting to see how they can also fill in some of the gaps in services just for people who are experiencing higher rates, perhaps, of mental health issues or aren't being addressed by the the social media-fueled conversations that I mentioned earlier.
1: I wanted to now touch upon one of your innovation platforms that you cover as Stylish, which is inclusivity. And to start, I'd love to hear your perspective on, gosh, how are consumers' perception about inclusivity changing and what are they right now?
2: Yeah, I think this is a great question, and even you know, starting to approach it, it feels it feels so big, right? Like inclusivity is so many things, and we so frequently approach it from specific groups or specific identities. But I think what we're seeing is that it's actually much broader than that, and consumers are really leading the shift here. So I mean, from a very basic level, what we're seeing is consumers are much more likely to expect and call out brands on their inclusivity practices or lack thereof. They want inclusivity to be something. Something that is less visualized, more an ethos that is made visible through one's actions. I know people are much more aware about concepts like performative allyship and they don't want to see that happening both with companies or with themselves and they're calling each other out on it as well. But I think, again, really the most important thing to think here is that we're not talking about inclusivity as something for specific groups to be made more inclusive necessarily, though that is definitely an issue that we are addressing and that individual people are interested in. But when we're talking about inclusivity, it's a much broader ethos and thinking about how can we make a range of viewpoints available to people and seen as equally valuable. Thank
1: you for that. And I'd love to hear some examples of how brands are embracing inclusivity specifically. And do consumers think they are successful?
2: Yeah. I think the best brands when it comes to embracing inclusivity are you know reflecting the consumer approach. They're treating it as a practice, not a target to hit. So that really means weaving inclusion equity into their operations from hiring processes through to how they engage with consumers or patients. Obviously, there's so many different perspectives to take here. But I think from the angle of health, the inclusion theme that we're seeing come up quite frequently is cultural competence, which is a really interesting one. And again, touches on so many different identities and viewpoints. So really thinking about how health brands, providers incorporate the impact of social determinants of health and culturally molded ways of discussing well-being healthcare into their practices. We just explored this topic in a report called Culturally Competent Healthcare, touched on many of these issues, and we found some really compelling companies that are doing some really great work here, which was very encouraging to see. So one of the most interesting ones we came across is called Violet. They run upskilling courses that discuss how racism appears in healthcare and bias manifests in provider language. Um, and with this, it's also teaching doctors tips on how to provide affirming care for people of color and LGBTQ plus individuals. So, really giving people tech, uh, practical, tangible techniques to take to their own healthcare practice and feed onto patients. Engaging with patients directly, we also have companies like Spora Health and CityBlock, which are focused on lengthening the health spans for patients of color. They vet all their providers for cultural competence, which I think is a really interesting idea that we could see being fed throughout any provider directory. You know, it goes beyond language, but actually, do you have experience in engaging with people from a variety of cultural backgrounds? Are there specific areas that you are particular that you identify with yourself? Could be a really fantastic way of thinking about this as well. Bringing language into the equation, we have companies like Suvita Health, Zocalo Health. They provide Latinx communities with both Spanish language providers, but also services that are intended to reflect cultural family roles. So thinking about how caregiving can be brought into this conversation, which is a really interesting area that we're watching more broadly. I think also important to think about when we're thinking about inclusivity and cultural competence is that's not just about race and, race and ethnicity. Gender, sexual orientation also play a really large role in expanding the inclusive services that need to be provided to people, especially as we think young people are more likely than ever to identify as non-binary or LGBTQ+. A really good example here is folks, F-O-L-X. They connect patients to LGBTQ plus friendly clinicians. They provide inclusive community support, gender-affirming medications such as hormone therapy, and they're quite widespread. I mean, they operate now in 42 states. They plan to expand nationwide, so it's great to see that that is gaining traction. There's also some interesting crossover here with other industries as well. So as we were doing this culturally competent healthcare report that I mentioned, we came across a really fantastic example from this US Neobank Daylight. And they offer financial guidance for family planning consultations for same-sex and gender queer couples. So helping them think about how they'll fund processes such as IVF or surrogacy. So thinking about how healthcare crosses over into all of these other industries and how those can be made more inclusive as well.
1: Wow. Thank you for that. I do find it interesting that, you know, consumers now are searching for providers by kind of their cultural competency. Like, are they able to work with people Mm -hmm. like me? You know, and that I think is a really important thing that, you know, traditional healthcare needs to pay attention to. Okay. I want to talk about our next topic, which is convenience culture. So convenience is a major trend that healthcare entities have been paying attention to a bit of time now. And so I'd love to probe your insight or your thoughts on that specifically. How are consumer expectations around convenience changing right now?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because so much of the conversations that we have on convenience feel like They've been based on apps and trying to make things happen more quickly, and I think that's a very you know interesting thing to think about with healthcare as well, right? Like Zocdoc has sort of been the convenient thing that we've thought of for healthcare for a long time, but I think that we'll sort of see a pivot to thinking about more blended ways of accessing healthcare and how healthcare can really integrate with our everyday routines and our everyday spaces. I look here to Amazon's recent acquisition of One Medical. I, you know, I think there is potential future where we could see you know blending healthcare and accessing that integrated with shopping, you know, and thinking about how that's all merging together into one just fabric of life. So, a company Fabric Health is a really good example here. So they host pop up preventative care services, things like. Mammograms, blood tests at venues that are easily accessible to people and will they be spending a long amount of time like laundromats? So I think we're gonna see more of this kind of embedded care be something that terms convenience for people within healthcare. So thinking less, I have to go to a particular space and more, you know, healthcare just fits into my everyday life and routine. And of course it's something I do. But I think this also is like reflecting blended living that we're having more broadly and something that's really been catalyzed by the fact that many more people have been allowed to work from home during the pandemic, or even just rethinking their routines more broadly. You know, this takes us a little bit outside of healthcare, but in a way that's still very relevant for convenience. And thinking about the future of work in all of the research that we've done over the past few years about work, I think the takeaway that struck with stuck with us the most is that people don't necessarily want to be able to control where they work. It's less important than being able to control when they work. And because people want to intersperse, you know, work, their professional responsibilities with errands, social meetings, caregiving, exercise. Exercise, healthcare appointments, it doesn't necessarily mean you know working less. Just the ability to follow the peaks and troughs of one's own productivity, rather than following an external schedule and trying to think of how do I make the things that I need to do convenient to me and my schedule.
1: That's really interesting, especially the idea of convenience becoming something that's just integrated in your daily routine, rather than like let's just do it faster, let's just do it quicker. <laughs> that's really really illuminating. So thank you. Okay, I have one more question. It's a big one. So if you could pick one defining consumer trend that will fundamentally disrupt how all industries operate and including healthcare, what would it be
2: and why? I mean, it's so hard to say, I think, one particular trend because so many of these trends interweave onto each other and piggyback off of each other. I think the trend that's kind of underlines everything that we've discussed today and really how all industries are going to operate in the future is what we're calling deceleration. You know, Low key living phenomenon that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation people want to slow down their routines, limit stress, limit their environmental impact, save money, prioritize enjoyable activities and it's all about thinking, you know, not necessarily how can i do less, but how can i do what i enjoy and do it in a smart way. you know, self-care skepticism is all about going back to the idea of health and well-being basics. Social wellness is all about forgetting fancy therapies and intervention and prioritizing uplifting interactions. Sustainability is all about prioritizing those really basic behaviors. So it's thinking, how can I focus less on the really large, you know, moonshot goals for myself, for the world that needs to be accomplished and think, well, what action can I take now in order to promote personal, social, planetary health? So I think it's this focus on the basics that's going to be kind of the disruption coming over the next few years. Well, very cool. Amelia, is there anything else that you want to share with us about health,
1: wellness, any specific trend that maybe we didn't cover today?
2: You know, I think the only thing that I we've been noting in healthcare that we're, you know, tracking is the presence of AI in healthcare, particularly from the perspective of how patients feel about it. We talked a little bit about companies like Gabby and Clearly bringing using AI to speed up early disease detection, but I think it's something that companies are going to have to grapple with on a much broader level. Again, we were recently working on this report, Advancing MedTech, and what struck us as we were doing it was this gap that we saw between the funding, implementation, consumer awareness, and embrace of AI within clinical settings. And we were particularly struck by some research from South Korea that suggested that people really don't want AI to play a part at all in their medical diagnoses and yet you know as soon as you dip your toes into the potential of what it can do within health to speed up analysis get these diagnoses to patients faster integrate new bodies of research accelerate drug development it goes on and on and you can see how ai tools become extremely consequential for healthcare so i think it's going to be really interesting to see over the next you know few years next decade, how companies and healthcare makes AI seem accessible and beneficial to patients. Because right now, I think that it clearly isn't there. And there's a little bit of that digital mistrust. So making it seem like something that is really worthwhile to people and trustworthy is going to be really important for healthcare to do. And I'm really interested to see how that happens.
1: Final question for you is, if listeners want to learn more about Silas, where should they go?
2: Yes, you can go to stylist.com. We have some free resources available on our resources tab if you're interested in just dipping your toes into some of the insights we have available. There's also plenty more information there where you can access, schedule a call and schedule a demonstration to see how our platform works. We are publishing a lot on LinkedIn, doing LinkedIn lives for some of our top key trends. So keep in touch with us on social media as well. Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic! Thank you so much.
1: We'd like to give a big thank you to our partner stylist and Amelia for being a guest on our podcast today. Next month, we will be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you would like a primer on where DEI efforts are taking the healthcare industry, you can sign up for our downloadable empathy whitepaper linked in the show notes.
0: All right you guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please share, rate and review on Apple, Spotify or your favorite podcasting platform. For more content about simplifying healthcare, visit mdrginc.com. That's mdrginc.com. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for change makers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need and it's all for free. We'll see you next time on What Consumers Want.